Hi, welcome to the Get to Yes podcast. Neil Osborne from The Sales Catalyst is our host. He teaches, coaches, consults and speaks on business subjects that help hair, beauty and aesthetic businesses become commercially clever and highly profitable. Throughout this series, Neil talks with a variety of industry experts who share business tips to help you navigate your journey. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to yet again another episode of our Get to Yes podcast. It's been a tremendous journey. And as we go to record uh, this particular episode, uh, we are in lockdown here in New South Wales. And for those of you in Victoria, we are, well, just reaching out to share some of your pain because you must have been going through hell throughout this time. So uh, we wish you well. But in saying that, it is becoming even more prevalent to this time of the year and this time uh, of our business cycle that we need to get better at managing the business side. And well, who better to help us do that than to seek those that are wise. And what I mean by that is those that are, have been in the industry for a while, have had salons for a while, have managed businesses and people for a while. And that's today what our guest is all about. Let me introduce you to our guest today. I will give you the clue. It is a lady, and uh, this lady's had a tremendous career. She really has. Uh, I first had the opportunity to meet her not long, not long after she'd finished her apprenticeship, um, and that was back in, um, well, do I need to say a year? I, I've trapped myself there, haven't I? Uh, <laughs> let's just say we've known each other for about 30 years, So, um, and I did get to meet this particular person when she was very, very young, so um, there you go. I've managed to at least cover our tracks, uh, but yes, truly inspirational hairdresser. You would know this person and you would have met this person many times because uh, she's a very active person in speaking to our industry. You would have met her at conferences, uh, competitions, awards, all of those uh, is a major playing area where this person likes to spend a lot of time. Why? Because over the years and since 1997, when she opened her salon in Manly, she has been nothing but a multi-award winning business. And there are just too many awards uh, to mention. But today, she runs a highly successful business. And I might add, uh, Wednesday to Saturday, uh, that I'm sure is something that most of you envy, but truly, truly exceptional uh, hairdresser. Also has contributed enormously uh, at business conferences and business spokesperson as far as the successful ways to grow and build a profitable business. So, hmm, the name of her business, the name of her salon is Cranium. And with that, I'm sure you know and would like to welcome Kelly Kent to the microphone. Hey, Kel, how are you? Hey, Neil. That sounds magnificent. Gosh, I'm very flattered. Thank you so much for such a beautiful intro. That was lovely. Um, I did that with someone else the other day and they said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> they were exhausted listening to their history. <laughs> I'm a business owner. We're always exhausted. Yes, that's very true, isn't it, Kelly? Very true. But it's lovely to um, share. We were going to actually sit face-to-face -face and do this chat, but um, COVID's not going to allow us to do that. So we're here on Zoom today. So, um, again, welcome. Uh, the purpose of our getting together was to really share uh, and openly share with our industry, some things that, well, some things that salon owners can be doing during this really incredible and awful, awful time. And the subject that I wanted to focus on today was more to do with the numbers, more to do with the financials. And the reason why I want to focus on that is that 
Well, in this time, and especially these difficult times, if you're not managing your numbers, you're actually going out the back door pretty quickly. So it's something that we all as an industry really need to get tight on and get focused on. So with that, um, Kelly, you, you know, you've, you've had a salon for quite a few years and a highly successful one. Uh, if we were to circle back and ask you that million dollar question, you know, what sort of advice would you give your younger self? Uh, what sort of things float through your mind? And in particular, on the financial side, what are some of the things that have been these milestones for you uh, as you've navigated your years in the industry, Kelly? Well, I think when I first started, I was actually smarter than in the middle of owning a salon. So when I first started, I was really careful about what I spent on my fit out and what I could afford mm -hmm. because I had actually put my apartment up as security over opening the salon. So I had a lot to lose and I'd worked for a fairly well-known salon and apart from having something financial to lose, I had a reputation to try to uphold as well. So initially I was just so careful on my numbers. You know, I knew what staff I could afford. I knew exactly what was coming. And now that set me up really, really well yeah. from the beginning. So luckily for me and a lot of work went into it, we were, we've been profitable from day one. You know, my accountant gave me all of these warnings about, you know, they go, businesses go out of business in the first year, then mm -hmm. the, the second year, and then after 10 years. And I, I got to 10 years, I was like, oh, made that, don't have to worry anymore. But of yeah. course, I already, I put in all of these systems behind that not having to worry anymore. So we were protected. As the salon got busier and um, we I didn't really have to worry so much about money, mm -hmm. our profitability did slip back a little bit because. I was so busy being busy, I wasn't watching the numbers. Okay. So my team weren't as productive as they could have been or I had too many people on board that right. I wasn't. So when you say as, as profitable, we're now talking percentages. Percentage-wise, yeah. I right. was making more money yep, yep, and yep. I was still getting a good amount of money. But when I look back on it, I think that there was a lot of wasted money and wasn't really keeping my eyes on outgoings because I didn't really have to because the money was always there. Yeah. At that point, I had as much money in my account as I owed. So I was like, if ever anything happened, I was like, that's okay. Not a drama. I can just pay everything off, yeah. which was a, a beautiful place to be in. Mm. Uh, but of course, as things change, like I've had an interesting role. I had the Y2K bug. I've had the GFC and now we're working our way through COVID. So I think yeah. I'm a disaster uh, get over business. I've managed that quite well. This is like That's my tremendous. Yeah, massive disaster. So I feel like I'm a disaster recovery specialist when it comes wow. to running a salon. Can I, um, um, can I just chime in there if I can, please? Because to have that level of acumen, business acumen and number interest at a very early age in your development of your career is really quite fantastic. Where did that come from? Are you naturally a numbers person? Did you learn it from somebody? Did you self-teach? Where, where, where did that hunger interest come from um, and awareness about managing the numbers? Where did that come from in the early days? I'd love you to speak to my year 10 math teacher and the, the also the... Um the guy that I had that used to try and teach, the tutor, 
because they were like, this kid's never going to get math. This kid's hopeless. <laughs> so uh, I think when it's coming out of your back pocket, that's when it starts to become oh. real. But I was really fortunate that I, I, ch- I chose the people that I worked for. So I have always worked for very clever, influential salons. My first salon I worked in was a massive shampoo and set salon in DY, which is on Sydney's Northern Beaches. We had about 24 chairs. They taught me how to build client relations. So I knew from a very early age, I needed to know everyone's name because I came in every 15 minutes. The only time they didn't come was when they died. And then they made me the manager. And I was like a fourth year apprentice and I was the manager. So all I was managing was opening the salon. I was minding the salon. Part of that was, you know, we set up some goals and stuff like that. So I I touched on that there. And then I went and worked at this celebrity salon at Ringham Mall, which was owned by these two, you know, rock stars in the industry. Um, She was a technician for Schwarzkopf and he was the national sales manager for um, a large product company as well. So um, they taught me all about... I knew the relationship bit. I knew how to build a clientele. They taught me all the nitty gritty. There was, we had this thing called goal management in place. Yep. And mm-hmm. you used to track your client numbers, your treatments, your rebooking yep. percentages, all of those things. And I saw the more I focused on that, the more I, uh, the better I became. And so mm-hmm. that was when I became very interested. Then they made me the manager of that salon. And pretty much gave me another salon in Neutral Bay to manage and we had to set up the whole thing there. The whole team had changed over. We had no existing people in that salon. It was named after a very good hairdresser that had left. Mm -hmm. So we had to set, I had to, I was given it, I had to set up all of the procedures in that salon. Mm. So I was very fortunate that I had that um, experience I then went and worked just for a short amount of time for another salon in Mossman, which then got me more into the technical part of my hairdressing again. And then I went back to the salon at Ring Mall just prior to opening Cranium. So I did my business degree with these amazing salons, but I was very um, choosy about where I I worked and the kind of people that I worked for. I wanted to know all I could know. Yeah. I actually never thought I'd open my own business. I never had any intention of opening my own business. Yeah. What I find really fascinating is that so many of us in our industry, and you know, I grew up with mum as a hairdresser, but so many of our, in our industry love the passion and love the art. And we almost get carried away with that side. And yet some of us like yourself, it's not, it's not a hunger about numbers. It's a curiosity about numbers. Yes, that, isn't it? It's it's not so much the money; it's the curiosity about how to influence, how to manage them, and 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 that challenge that it presents more than actually chasing the almighty dollar, isn't it? The money is just the end result of having done your job well. The money Thanks. isn't the driver. If money is driving you, give yeah. it up, yeah. because you're yeah. transparent. People can see through that. If mm. you truly care about people and if you do your job well, the money comes, but it doesn't yeah. come the other way around. It's got to be the client first, the staff second, and the business third. If yep. you do it in that order, you will have a highly successful business. You'll have highly successful staff members and your mm-hmm. clients will be really well retained. Yeah. Okay. So we, uh, as part of this journey, we've then stepped into opening up um, Cranium Hair and Manly, which you know in itself is 
you know, a, a, a massive success for you. And then you go through these first few years of really enjoying the enjoying good numbers and really watching it and then taking your eye off the ball. Let's, let's talk about, can we dive into that little space there? You know, what were some of the pains that happened there? Was it just that the business was busy, so it was okay? Or were there some other, were there some other learnings there? Were there some other financial decisions that maybe were as favorable? Okay, I'm pretty honest. So let's just talk about ego first because okay. that little bugger gets in the way and you start to think that you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And so every now and then the ego gods give you a slap around the back of the head and say, get over yourself. So I've been really lucky that I have listened to those things. So when you're growing and growing and growing and growing, and you can't, you can't keep up. My accountant said to me, be careful that the business doesn't grow before you can manage it. And I laughed and went, yeah, right. How good would that be? But I chased that business for many years trying mm. to keep up with it. Mm. And I used to get flustered because I'd be like, I've got all of these things in place and I'm constantly having to change them until I realised that that was part of growth. Growth yeah. is not set and forget. You don't put things in place and then hope that that's going to be the same. Because if you always did what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. So, yep. Right. So yep. change is something that every business needs to have to evolve. So mm. through those changes and through my desire to grow and to be the best business I could be, I was looking more at that than I was at and I did, again, because the money was coming in and I didn't yeah. have to worry about the money, I didn't really need to focus so much. We've always had charts up with um, the, the girls' takings. And I say the girls, we have had boys backwards and forwards, but primarily yeah. our team has always been female. Yeah. Um, I've employed apprentices as young as 13 and as old as 65 from every country in the world. We're like Benetton. <laughs> so I'll have anybody work for me if they want to work for me. My major requirement is be nice. So that's about yeah. it. Feel I can teach. So, um, yeah, our team has always been very informed about to be productive. This is, yep. yeah, you can be the best hairdresser in the world. If yep. you're not productive or you're not commercial, you can be the best hairdresser and you're not going to have as big a clientele as mm -hmm. somebody that is recommending how people look after their hair at home, looking after their client's condition, recommending a colour, recommending a change, so my focus was always on those things, yep. mm -hmm. which was great. My ego did get out of control and I decided my one major faux pas, I think, which was awesome, was uh, I decided I could run any business. Look at me go. I can do one so I right. can do anything. Okay. So I started a beauty salon, oh. yeah, which was tacked on to the hairdressing salon. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about beauty. Mm -hmm. And I, I did everything. I think I really investigated. So I got this girl that came and she had this little trolley and she would do nails and pedicures and eyelash tints and eyebrow waxing. Yeah. And I put, I put my foot in the water before I actually went wholehearted mm -hmm. and asked all the clients, would you like this person? You yep. can have your color on and have your waxing done and thought this is going to be amazing. Like we're going to, what I realized is people are far more loyal to their beauty therapists than they are to their hairdressers. Um, it's a far more intimate process. Mm -hmm. And I also realised that we had this big, busy, bustling, energetic rah, salon next to this whale farting music and be calm and quiet. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. And those two things, unless you can block them off, do not work. The, so, uh, the, the fascinating thing I think we all observe when we, when we mesh these two types of businesses together, it's the introvert meets the extrovert. Oh, yes. Isn't yes, it? it is. and, and, and in some places, it's an implosion. Um, and it depends which business works because it depends which, where does the owner fit in? If the owner's beauty, the beauty side will work and she'll struggle with hair. And if she or he is, is hairdressing, the hairdressing side will work and they will struggle with beauty. So it's just this constant, oh. you know, opposing, opposing fields um, yes. coming in. Yeah, yeah. You it's feel like they're a like-minded business. They're complementary to one another, mm. but they are so polar opposite. Even in terms of having multiple clients in the salon at one stage to having one person in a room. Yes, and that's that right. Calm, relaxing as opposed to that high energy, yep. uh, mm. yeah, panic kind of. So that that was mm. an expensive yeah. and a well-learned lesson and that really got me to put my mm. ego back into my pocket okay. and taught me to focus on my core business, which was hair which yep. was what I knew about. Now, I'm not saying that other people can't do that successfully. There's plenty of people that are smarter than me that manage to mesh those two together. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, that was one of my biggest learning um, lessons. Yeah, and it's hard to retreat back from that as well because, um, you know, you've got faced with your clients and then your clients go, why? And, you know, it, it hangs with you for a while. It's not like you can just draw the curtain and walk away. How did you cope with that? Well, I think the reason that, so I told my mum once mm. that my spirit animal is a cockroach because oh, you okay. can't kill them. Unless you get a big thong and you slap them down, <laughs> you can't them, right? So they survive nuclear bombs, they survive everything. So my spirit animal, and I hate the damn things, is a cockroach. So for me, I, love it. I, love it. I feel like my success has mm. been in my ability to make a judgment and act on it quickly. I don't procrastinate. If yep. I see something is coming, mm -hmm. I look at it, I weigh it up and I make the decision and I stick to it immediately. And let me tell you, that is what I love about owning your own business. Mm. There are multi levels of management that you have to go through. I mm. own it. So I can make the decision to make the biggest mistake on the planet and yep. I can do it and I can run with it and it may or may not work. And if it doesn't work, I just stop doing it. So yep. the beauty salon didn't work, so I shut it down. I just stopped it straight away. We also, at one point, the salon was 250 square metres. It was mm. enormous. Mm. Our waiting area is now the main part of our salon and we fit 12 stations into it. So wow. when I say I didn't really have to watch the numbers, that's what yep. I meant. There's and another so, example of how things just blow out, yeah? Right. And so as this changed and as the GFC came in and as people were yep. coming because they would still come for their services like balayage, which didn't need to be done all the time, which came about because of a financial predicament for the world, not because we're trendy and creative. Yep. Um, that made me think, well, I don't need this space. What do I do to enable, I'm getting the same clients in, I haven't lost clients, but they're coming half as often. So now I need more clients to fill this space. I needed less staff. So as staff left, I didn't need to replenish as much. So I looked at all of those things and I made those changes pretty much immediately. You can't just make the size of your salon smaller, snap like that. But I started formulating the plan and I put it into place and I moved fairly quickly on that. 
Now, when I did it, of course, there's a charge involved in making a business smaller. And it took me two and a half years to be able then to recoup the cost of that. But it needed to be done before I didn't have the money to do it. Those changes needed to be made and put into place immediately, not two and a half years down the track when my um, landlord was knocking on my door saying, hey, you need to pay your rent. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I feel like my one thing that has saved me and to young business owners out there, to anyone in a business or starting a business, COVID has made us fairly challenged on making any decisions because it's difficult to make a decision because the the carpet's going to be pulled out from underneath yep, you. Yep, yep, Listen yep. to your gut. Make your decisions based on your experience. Mm-hmm. And once you've made it, stick with it. Mm-hmm. Make it based on figures and on what you know because in the long run, being polarised in business and not making a decision is what is going to get you into the most strife, I think. Yeah, yeah, isn't it amazing? There was an old saying that went around many years ago, and that is it was better to make a decision and be it wrong than not to make a decision at all. Absolutely. I could I think not. that still, still stands, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And procrastination is, is actually a very dangerous habit. Um, it's also a code name for perfection. Um, and it's the excuse that people use, you know, to hide their procrastination, and that is they're a perfectionist. I, I've uh, come to the realisation that done is better um, than perfect. You Absolutely. Know, words, let's just get it done, and uh, yeah. that's where the world moves, yeah? I have an 18-year-old son, and uh, I say to him, 90% of my time is spending time doing things I don't really want to do, But the big picture is when I do those things, it makes the other 10% of my time allows me to do the things I love to do. So I try and get all of the things like today, I had to go down to the salon and call 110 clients and shift them into spaces that we don't have Mm -hmm. uh, in the hope that we will open when the government's saying that we will open. And I didn't want to do that. But it has to be done because my priority is that I get in touch with these people. They know I care about them. They know that they're at the front of my mind. And, you know, it's just a haircut. But for them, it's important. And to me, that's how I make my living. So to me, it's super important. So I go down, I get it done. I broke it down. I've done this week, this week. And in a couple of days, I'll do next week because I couldn't do it all at once. And I didn't want to do it poorly. Mm-hmm. So I gave myself an amount of time to do it and then I do it. And I do that with other things that uh, like looking at my P&L, I get that every month. Yep. There's my profit and loss statement for those of you that don't know what P&L is. Yep. Uh, I feel like some people might leave that to a yearly thing. Mm. But if I'm monitoring that monthly and I know monthly where I can make improvements or yep. where I'm going really well, I don't wait till the end of the year. At the end of the year, it's too late. The year is gone. So by tracking that monthly, it gives me the ability to be dynamic again, to make changes. What's the new word that we're using? What's that new word? Agile. I can be agile. Agile. That's the catch word of 2021. So I can be agile and make the um, changes that I need to make Mm -hmm. before I'm in trouble. 
Yep. I think that's a really powerful thing because one of the things that most of us learned when we all opened our businesses was this bloody thing called a PL, and let alone how to read it and understand it. And I think for some, it's still quite a challenging beast. So what uh, one of the things that affected me pretty heavily through COVID was I'm in the coaching business and a lot of people were very preoccupied with other things rather than thinking about coaching and building teams. So I, I, I got hit pretty hard. So one of the things that I did, Kelly, is I, I went out and learnt a system, a cash management system, which is designed to simplify looking at this thing called a P&L. And basically what we do is we take profit from the bottom of the P&L and we move it up and we tuck it under gross profit before expenses. So we allocate off our GST, we allocate off our cost of goods being product and wages, then we allocate profit, then our expenses are paid from the balance. Love it. So this is the new way of running a business because we can't anymore wait and hope and pray that there's going to be some left at the end. And I think that's where a lot of people are struggling at the moment. If they don't know their numbers well, if they don't get their numbers right, what's left at the end and how can they survive when there's not enough to pay themselves? If, you know, it sounds like you fortunately haven't had to cross that road um, due to the success of your business. But I don't say that lightly. I say due to the hard work that you did along the way that made it that way. Um, that's right. I've, I've always, always... Um, I, I rang my uh, landlord, who is no longer my landlord, but was my landlord, and I said to him, uh, your people are not invoicing me on time. I need that money out of my account on the first of the month. And he started laughing at me. I said, what are you laughing at? And he said, God, I wish all of my tenants would ring me and be so cranky that I hadn't invoiced them on time. <laughs> and, but for me... Yeah. I always make sure every week all of my expenses are taken out and COVID really taught me that because mm. if you are coming into a lockdown and you owe tax, mm -hmm. which I think people constantly forget about, yep. and we need to pay tax. We want to drive on roads and we need yep. police and we need public hospitals. So yep. our tax pays for that. So, you know, I don't love it, but it's for a reason. Mm. But um, And paying suppliers. Suppliers have expenses as well. And out of the goodness of their heart, they've given us a product yep. and we've been yep. able to use it prior to paying them. So, mm. and mm. landlords have expenses also. So for me, it was a moral and a trust obligation that I had to pay my expenses before I got paid. But that meant I had to make enough money to make sure, because I had expenses as well. And yep. you yep. know what? I love my job, but I'm not bloody doing this for free. Yeah. I love it, but I'm going to get paid for it. And I... It, breaks my heart and why I've always done this sort of work in the industry to see these talented people that go to work and they're not making their money because they don't understand their what they've got to pay out. Yeah, so having yeah. a product like you've just mentioned that would help those people to understand what they've got to pay and to have them being paid a wage and a great wage, um, I think is phenomenal. Well, we go go to a point where I will guarantee a salon to come and works that comes and works with me that they will make a profit from day one. Guarantee. That's so awesome. 
it's just part of the benefit. And we've got about 60,000, sorry, 600,000 businesses now globally using this particular cash flow management system. And I'm the only one in Australia here who's licensed uh, in the hair, beauty and the body industry. So I'm really excited to have that contribution. And But the fact of the matter is, is a lot of people who listen to these podcasts, Kelly, and a lot of people that you've come across throughout your many years where you've given back into the industry is what we've got to learn is that listening is one thing, understanding is something, but actually taking action, doing something, which is what I give you tremendous credit for, because that just rings every single time we talk through your experiences, this action step. So we have an action step in our journey as well. And it's very simply this. If you want to learn more about how to manage your numbers really well so that you can be making good, solid decisions like Kelly has in her career, all you have to do is drop me an email or a message or Facebook me or whatever it is and whatever platform you're listening to this podcast to and just put the word profit in it. And when my team receive that, what we do is we send you out a very simple grid, which is called an instant profit assessment. It will help you look at your numbers in percentages. And more importantly, it will help you compare to where you could be and should be with the profitability of your business. And if that's simply the first step that you've got out of today, Kelly and I have had a tremendous contribution to your success. And that's what both of us would love to do. So Kel, we've time's got us today. So thank you. There may be an opportunity to cycle back another day to have some more conversations. And I would love that if you'd be available for that. Um, well, hopefully next time we can do it in the same room together. That would be cool. That would be cool. And uh, a very nice um, venue on the Northern beaches too. So maybe we could just pop on over there and go to that venue. We could maybe come to the office and then go over there for a bit of a light lunch. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? So would um, thank you but, very much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of anything that you have anything to do with. It's been a great friendship and you're an amazing mentor. So I am very flattered to have been asked along to this podcast today. So thank you. Thanks, Kelly. I really appreciate that. And uh, as always, thank you. And I know there's many listening who will also thank you for your openness and your honesty today. So thanks again. And uh, bye for now. See you all soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Get to Yes podcast. If you like what you've heard, please share it with others who also want a more profitable business. Until our next episode, you can visit Neil at thesalescatalyst.com.au.